0: Welcome in to uh, another edition of the Wednesday Bible Study here from the Rick and Bubba Studios. Uh, I'm Rick Burgess, in case this is your first time with us, co-host of the Rick and Bubba Show. That's why we're in these studios, uh, but also director of themanchurch.com. And uh, themanchurch.com presents this Bible study every Wednesday. We have been uh, doing this Bible study for about eight years now. Um, working our way to year nine, which is unbelievable. But uh, what is manchurch.com? It's a men's discipleship strategy. We are a uh, a hub for you to do men's ministry in your community, in your church. Uh, if we can help you in any way, you just simply go to themanchurch.com. Father's Day is coming, and you can go uh, into our store and see some great gift ideas for Father's Day. We have all sorts of devotionals and resources and and books and shirts and hats and uh, and really whatever you would like to have for, for dad uh, or the dads on your list, you can find it at themanchurch.com. Also, you want to see uh, about our Strive app. We have a brand new app. We keep adding resources. Got a big announcement that's going to be coming up for 2023, but we're not ready for that yet. So we started off with doing the devotionals, which we have. Uh, Individual resources. Then we went from that to forty-week curriculum. We have three of those. That's for your church or your 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 small group. And now our latest is we have an app. You got to have an app. Uh, You know, before long we'll have a podcast. But right now we we have an app, uh, and it it is just full of resources. It has sermons. It has daily devotionals, it has articles, uh, it has just, you know, little little something that you could have that just a phrase or a verse of the day. Uh, all of that is there on the Strive app, and you can get it uh, wherever you get apps. Just look for Strive, uh, and uh, and then, of course, for seven days you can use it for free. Make sure you like it. If you don't, then you, you're under no obligation. If you do, then it'll be $9.99 a month. So uh, And a lot of the Bible study archives uh, and series that we've done here in this Bible study study is they're also on the app so it's I mean there's a ton of stuff in those weekly, devotions and daily devotionals are updated every week, and we're constantly adding uh, new content as well. So look for that. Man Church uh, also is a service that we do. We do have curriculum. You heard me talking about that. But we also send speakers out to do conferences uh, and to do man churches. Now man churches, this is part of our strategy, if you decide to plug that in. There's right almost 500 churches now, guys, all over the country uh, doing the strategy in some way, shape, or form. So let me tell you where some of those churches are, because there's an opportunity because you can enter our strategy either through a service. Uh, a gathering of men or through a small group so here's some of the services that are going on next week June 16th uh, Opelika, Alabama First Baptist Church Opelika Kevin Derryberry will be speaking there they're doing the strategy Uh, then coming up on the 18th Homewood Church of Christ they're starting for the first time Uh, Brian Gunn will be kicking off their strategy with a gathering it's a breakfast so uh, you'll have the rest of the weekend Uh, so that'll be going on in in Homewood, Alabama Uh, then on the 19th Actually, on Father's Day, Scott Dawson will be speaking at our men's breakfast at my home church, Birmingham, Alabama, Valleydale. We're also doing the men's discipleship strategy. This is our next gathering, so you can plug in some of our small groups if you come, if you're not already in one. Uh, Scott Dawson will be our speaker. We need to know if you're coming. Go to valleydale.org slash events so we make sure we got enough food. Then I'll be headed uh, to uh, Shelbyville. I was told you call it Shelbyville. You don't say Shelbyville. Shelbyville. Tennessee, if you're local, First Baptist Church, they're having a men's conference. They're also getting ready to kick off the men's discipleship strategy, and I'll be there Father's Day weekend. That's Saturday night. Uh, If you'd like to have dinner, the ticket is one price. If you don't care about coming to the dinner, Then it's another price, and you can just come to the event. That's June 18th on Saturday night. And, of course, also, uh, I'm not speaking there this year, uh, but the Gridiron Men's Conference, I speak there every other year, but it's still a great conference. It's going on in Huntsville, Alabama, Father's Day weekend, uh, Friday night, half a day, Saturday. If you would like to find out about it, just go to gridironmen.com. We are going through the book of Genesis, and today we will be in Genesis chapter 23. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for an opportunity to open your holy word today. Help us to glean from it uh, what you intend. No matter how many times uh, some of us may have walked through this book of Genesis, I'm, I'm speaking personally. Uh, while wow, there's things there that I guess you were waiting to reveal to me when I was ready for them. Uh, so we, we are never done. We are always moving forward and growing in our relationship with you, as you continue to continue to find us ready for the next thing that you reveal about yourself to us, may there be something today that we all take away. No matter where we are, we're all at different levels on our our growth spiritually, but that you give us individually today, uh, either in this room or watching or listening anywhere in the world, what what you intend for the individual to glean from this today. In your holy name, we pray. Amen. And you know that's kind of what uh, we were talking about. You know a little bit. Uh, I was looking at uh, what I think is uh, one of the finest daily devotions, if not the finest, um, that God has put together so far um, uh, through uh, one of his servants, Oswald Chambers. Y'all knew it. He's going to say Oswald Chambers. Uh, my utmost for his highest. I love this today. I was reading today and in Oswald, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit, God said through him, Be determined to know more. Be determined to always know more. And I thought about our Bible study here. If you yourself do not cut the lines that tie you to the dock, I love this analogy, God will have to use a storm to sever them and send you out into the sea. Trust me, it's better just to take, look, uh, say, hey, go ahead and lift it up. Let's head out to sea. Get out of the harbor. Because if you don't want to get out of that harbor, he loves you enough to bring a storm that will force you out of that harbor and out into the sea. Uh, and and my takeaway from that was don't be satisfied with where you are spiritually. God desires us to spiritually grow up, and uh, and He'll grow you. you know, it's better just to go ahead and say, "Hey, I, I want to grow. Uh, I'm I'm taking action on growing." And He says to seek Him. So today, let's look at chapter twenty three. Uh, this is mainly going to revolve around Sarah, uh, her death and burial. Now we know why. Uh, we know who Sarah is. This is Abraham's wife. We've been through. Uh, their whole deal about her being barren, which she has been all of her life. Uh, we know the miraculous birth of Isaac. We know the the flawed plan uh, with Ishmael uh, and what happened there. Uh, and now all that's been removed. Uh, we know that we went last week. Uh, you know, we we were discussing uh, s- some some items about. Uh, what happened with Isaac around 15 and, and God calling uh, Abraham to test his faith. Got a lot of feedback from that last week. That was kind of a riveting lesson, as we all knew it would be. Uh, so we've walked through this, but now um, God wants us to know that Sarah has passed away. Why is this important? Why, why, do we, why, why is there so much documentation? Uh, an entire chapter of the Bible devoted to this. It, it's bigger, as you can imagine, than just the end of the life of of this uh, powerful woman uh, who uh, had been promised that she would bear Abraham's heir, Um, there's going to be other things that are important on what Sarah's earthly death causes to happen. Uh, Now, some of the things I found uh, interesting, um, and and one of those you're going to see, is God's continuing, continuing to fulfill his promise to Abraham. Sarah's earthly death is going to, to force something to take place, which is all God working. Uh, we, we, we're going to see him laying down roots, and what God has been telling him all along is the promised land. See, right now he didn't have roots. He's, he's, he's a sojourner. He's, a, he's an alien living in a foreign land that God has said, no, that's going to be yours, and it's going to be uh, to your descendants. Now look at verse 1 and 2 in chapter 23. Sarah lived 127 years. These were the years of the life of Sarah, and Sarah died in, in Hebron. Now, this other name you see here, and I won't even attempt to, uh, to say it, um, this is just another name for the city of Hebron, and, and we see that uh, these two are always associated together. If you want to go, well, why, why is this? They're giving us both of them. The one that's hard to say, um, you, know, you know, K-I-R-I-A-T-H, a R B A. That's what it was called further back. When you look, when you look at every time it keeps being called Hebron. That's the more modern, newer name uh, up for this same city. It's uh, um, and he returns there. Uh, but first of all, I want, I want to talk a little bit about um, verse verse one about the one hundred and twenty seven years. Um, this is really significant. To, to tell you about Sarah. We you search through Scripture. First of all, you won't find uh, women's lives being documented very much at all in Scripture. Uh, We see a lot of men where it tells us how long they lived and the number of their days. You don't see that with the women that much in Scripture. As a matter of fact, Sarah is the only woman that we see in Scripture that we're told how long she lived. Uh, There's only four women that are even referenced uh, about their death. Now, women are talked about a lot in Scripture, but what I'm saying is usually the men, we get their legacy and here's how long they lived. and da, 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 da. Uh, you, don't, you don't get that with women uh, very much, but Sarah does. Sarah gets something in Scripture that nobody, no other woman gets, and that is the number of her years. Uh, we have um, uh, three other women that we, we are told that either when they die or where they're buried, uh, but that's it. Uh, so, But Sarah's the only one. Uh, of all the matriarchs, that gets her number of years in Scripture, and that is significant because that shows she's placed in a place of of great honor. In fact, uh, if you want to know who the others are, uh, we only get the death of Sarah and Rachel. They're mentioned, uh, and then we get the burial places of Rebecca and Leah, um, and that's it. Uh, the The rest of these women of Scripture. Um, they just kind of fade out of Scripture, but you never know how long they live, where they're buried, or, or anything like that. But with these four women you do, and then with Sarah, is the only one you get the number of years. And uh, so Abraham has returned uh, in, in the land of Canaan to, to Hebron, and Abraham went up to mourn for Sarah and to weep for her. Uh, this also is significant. Uh, he returns to where he was supposed to be, uh, to this newer name of the city, he grieves publicly, which was normal, uh, you know, for for this culture. You know, if, if you had your a uh, loved one die, you would grieve, and it would be open and it would be public. And one of the things that that you'll notice as we work through all this is that uh, that Abraham is grieving his wife, and he's showing once again the level of honor that that he is elevating her to, uh, that he's publicly grieving, and he's grieving all over this area, including around the city gates where the, all the leaders of the communities would be. So he uh, he's well-respected, uh, and he wants to be sure that his wife is well-respected. Now, this is interesting. Um, looking at some of the commentaries, and they're all in agreement on this, um, that this is the first time in Scripture— now, we're not saying that this has never happened before, but it's the first time that, that Moses— was told, I want this in. I want. I want you to write this down, and that is the first time that we see anyone shedding tears over anyone else. Uh, this is the first documentation of weeping and shedding tears uh, in Scripture. Is when Abraham is mourning and grieving his wife Sarah. Uh, the relationship with Abraham and Sarah is significant uh, in his grief. Is also significant, and he is grieving in a way that he wants honor to be given to his wife, rightfully so. Um, and uh, let's face it, they've been through a lot together. Uh, but again, you see God, you know, working this out in his time. Uh, it, you know, here's Abraham who is older, uh, but yet God, in his uh, perfect wisdom, says, but when this earthly relationship ends, I'm gonna take Sarah before I take Abraham, and I don't know. In this room, we have men that have been married a long time. We have men uh, that have are, are yet to be married, and then men who have been married for for a time. And I know uh, I was thinking about this, and you know, and I don't know if you ever discuss it, but uh, I know some of you, your wives have already gone ahead of you. Uh, but um, that's one of those things that you sit and you ponder sometimes if. If the Lord does not return in our lifetime, uh, which one of us goes first? And uh, you know, those of us that have been redeemed, let's face it, we're all saying, "Boy, let it be me that goes first. Uh, and, uh, and and so, in Abraham's case, that was not what God had planned for him. And um, and then he 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 wants to bring honor to his wife, and and he does so. So in verses three through six, you you're starting to see this next important part pivot here. And Abraham rose up from uh, from before his dead and said to the Hittites, I am a sojourner, a foreigner among you. Give me property among you for buying a place that I may bury my dad out of my sight. The Hittites answered Abraham, Hear us, my lord. You are a prince of God among us. Bury your dead in the choicest place. Of our tombs, none of us will withhold from you uh, his tomb to hinder you from burying your dead. So you, you see here, Abraham now is going to address the inhabitants of Hebron, uh the Hittites, um, and 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 this is the thing I think that we all have to, to think about. And I know it's difficult, and some of you have been through it, some of you in it, and some of you gonna gonna go through it. There is a grieving process. We should grieve. Um, we, we were told in, in the book of Psalms that God is near to the brokenhearted. Uh, the, the time of, of grieving is powerful. It is important. It, it is healthy to do so. But you do see an example here. There is a time to stand up and do the next thing. You know, you can't let grief overwhelm you, that now you can't function. Um, especially though, when we know that we're in a situation where the one we love is redeemed, we are redeemed, it's all going to be perfection. Who was it that said Revelation 21 a minute ago before we started? Revelation 21, you know, any time that Sherry and I get a chance to talk to, to people who are grieving, and we get called into that ministry a lot, which is fine. I'm, I'm glad that we're able to to share, and and I always and Sherry's the one who first started doing this, and I, I picked up on it because I thought it was a it was it was great. Is that we will try to get the opportunity to say two things. Uh, I I just talked to a, a couple via email, I guess, in the last seventy two hours, I think. And they both said that they sat down, read it together, and they were weeping together, going, okay, this this is what we need to hear. Number one is what Abraham did first. Do not let the person that you claim to love, and I'm not doubting that you do. I'm just being provocative. If you claim to love these people and you're sincere about that, let me tell you what they don't want. They do not want their legacy to be that their earthly death turned you away from God that you just collapsed on yourself and you, you're you upset with God, and you don't like how he did it, and now instead of it empowering you and you're glorifying God, you've turned and you're blaspheming him and you can't handle it and you're living out like you're a person with no hope. That is not the legacy your loved one wants. Your loved one wants their death to represent you glorifying God by the way you grieve by the way you live your life and what you do next. I, I tell this, and, man, it triggers with them dads quickly when I'm dealing with a child um, or, um, or a, a son or a daughter is when I say, man, don't let their legacy be that their daddy turned away from God. You think that's the legacy they want? Man, their legacy needs to be that my daddy glorified God. My daddy grieved my death in a way that pointed people to Christ. That's the legacy that person wants. What kind of legacy is, well, yeah, I died, and then the people who claimed to love me all turned away from God and and it destroyed their life and um uh, and and it and it did it it destroyed other people's lives, turned people away from God. You think anybody you love wants that legacy? So Abraham said, My wife's legacy will be me glorifying God, will be me grieving her appropriately. Okay? Doesn't mean you don't grieve, doesn't mean it doesn't hurt, doesn't mean it doesn't matter. But, but the way we handle it is we handle it as with people who have hope, not people who have no hope. And, so, and then the second thing is what Sherry came up with, and that's the Revelation 21 and other places in Scripture, is to be reminded that this isn't God's final plan. Hey, this is not the way it ends. This is not how this ends. It's, it's not his final plan. And you see Abraham standing up looking at the Hittites and said, let's do the next thing. I need somewhere to lay my wife to rest, and it's going to be the place I'm going to lay my, my, my family to rest. I don't have that here. I'm a sojourner. And, of course, the way he lived his life, what did the Hittites do? Hey, you're a prince of God to us. We've seen how you live your life. So, so where we live, guys, and where, where you live uh, watching this or listening to this, would I walk into your community and would you walk into mine, and if we were in the same situation, have we lived our life that the community surrounds us and says, whatever you need. We've seen how you live your life. You've brought nothing but honor to our city. And we love Sarah or whoever it is for you, and we're going to make sure that you got a place to honor them. Because you've lived your life with integrity, and you're in good standing with us, is that how we live our lives? Would there be anything worse than if we went on in say say that say that we're the one that goes on in? Suddenly, there's our spouse or our loved ones, and the whole community says we ain't gonna do nothing to help you. We the way the way y'all live, the way y'all have treated us, we ain't got anything for you. Good luck to you. So that, that, that's important to see how Abraham has lived his life because he now, you know, he's acknowledging he's not a native to the land. He must request a place to bury his wife. He's being respect, respectful, but obviously he has a great reputation with these people. Their response is uh, uh, they, they, they kind of de- deflect his offer to purchase the land They're saying, bury her, you know, uh, wherever you want, we won't stand in your way. Now, there's no doubt that there's respect here, but be careful. Some of this may not be as wonderful as it looks from the Hittites, okay? Because they're they're, they're also thinking, as long as we give it to him, as long as he doesn't purchase it, it isn't really his. So he really doesn't have land here. We gave him some land here, but we could take it back because it's still ours. Do you see that? So they're a little hesitant about this purchase thing. It may look like they're trying to be nice there. Now, there's no doubt they respect him, so I no need to take back anything I've already said. But he is he is an alien there. He's a foreigner. And him owning land there, that's a different deal. Now, what do you think God's going to work out? Oh, you this is where you're going to get your land. We're going to start with this because I'm going to give it to you. So now let's look at verses 7 through 9. Abraham rose and and bowed to the Hittites, respectful, the people of the land. He acknowledges it's their land right now. And he said to them, if you are willing that I should bury my dad out of my sight, hear me and entreat for me Ephron, the son of Zohar. So basically Abraham says, I need somebody to negotiate with. Y'all send me Ephron. He must have known him as part of the community here and uh and he he's picking where he wants look at nine that he may give me the cave of machpelah which he owns it is at the end of his field for the full price let him give it to me in your presence as property for a burying place well, this is big now abraham said, nah, i just want to tell you straight up i want to buy it but he's letting them know, now, when I buy it, and y'all all witness it, that nobody's going to be able to say, that's not my land. I'll pay full price. I'm not looking for a deal, and you'll see in a minute. Efron tries to do the famous, I'll make such an outrageous price, he'll never buy it. Of course, he didn't realize how wealthy Abraham really is. It's all relative, which you may think is a big price for somebody's not a big price at all. I don't know if y'all saw what the Denver Broncos just went for to one of the Waltons. Good gracious. Over $4 billion. Um, for a football team. But if you got $60 billion, I guess that, that ain't a big deal. Uh, so, see, see, it's all relative. Uh, so, anyway, so um, so now Ephron is going to be the man that Abraham requests, and now he's going to negotiate with Abraham on behalf of the Hittites, but yet they've already said Abraham can pick any spot he wants. He's picked it. He just said he's going to buy it. He doesn't want it given to him. So now Ephron is is – He's got to do some negotiating. So Ephron, look at at 10. Now Ephron was sitting among the Hittites, and Ephron, the Hittite, answered Abraham in the hearing of the Hittites, meaning we got witnesses. Now this is brilliant on Abraham's part. The witness thing's brilliant because Abraham knows in this culture once this deal is done and witnesses hear it, and you agree to what the person said you had to agree to to get it, it's done. Because Ephron can never come back and say, well, now. And they say, well, we all saw you do it. He said this much, and you gave, and that's what he gave you. You can't back up on that. You, you can't back up on a deal. So um, so Abraham's a good negotiator. Ephron thinks he is, uh, but he didn't know how much money Abraham's got, apparently. So, um, so uh, all of who went out and at the gate of his city, again, showing that uh, Abraham was grieving uh, at the gate of the city as well. Look at 11. No, my Lord, hear me. I give you the field, and I give you the cave that is in it. In the sight of the sons of my people, I give it to you. Bury your dead. We're not going to sell it to you. It's yours. Take it. Now, this looks nice. It looks like, wow, big-hearted Ephron. But what Ephron really is trying to do is, I don't know that we want him to own it. This is our land, and he's, 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 he's from another place. He puts down roots here, and he's going to own some land in here. You know, remember, it, it, those of you that are watching this or listening to this around the world, obviously, you probably picked up by now with my accent that this is from uh, some part of America uh, and probably Southern. You're right, it's, it's out of Alabama. But, you know, our founding fathers, what did they consider to be the ultimate confirmation of liberty? Owning land, you know, because now, sadly, one time I uh, heard about a conversation. I wasn't in the conversation. Bubba was in the conversation with someone from, from from China, and we he was talking about how wonderful it was in America to own your own land, to which the Chinese person took issue and says, well, you don't own your own land. You're, you're not any different than what we're dealing with. And, of course, Bubba was like, well, no, that's <laughs> we, we own the land. He says, "Stop paying the taxes on it. See so who owns it." Okay, so maybe we don't own it, but but I mean, but the but but there's there still is that was the founding fathers. Of course, they would I think show up today and ask us where 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 where's the revolution starting? Where where, where have y'all got everybody set up? If they saw what we've allowed to happen now with the government and how big it's become, but in originally what they said was. If you want to truly be free and you want to truly have liberty, you gotta own your own land. So, I mean, even before this takes place, you see that God's promised this land, and for that first step to happen, somebody's got to own some of it that that belongs to God. And so, uh, Ephron, I don't think is thinking that far ahead. I think he just said, "We got a foreigner here trying to buy some land. I don't think we should. I think we should just give it to him so we can take it back if we need to, because it'd still be ours." Now, you're saying, well, Rick, if it's a gift, isn't it his? Well, unless they want it back, okay? But but, but if you own it, it's a different game, which is why Abraham's not moving on this. So Abraham then comes back. Do you love watching these two guys negotiate? So Abraham comes back in 12, and he says, Then Abraham bowed down before the people of the land, again showing respect, and he said, No, Ephron, in the hearing of all the people of the land, but if you will hear me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead here. Everybody everybody following all this? So so Abraham's picked his spot. He's offered to purchase the spot. Uh, and um, he must, you know, do you think about this? One of the things that gets me about this, and I, some of the commentaries that I read talked about this too, and I agree with them. As quick as Abraham chose it, don't you think he's had his mind on this place for a while? He knew where he wanted to be. He's, he's been living there a while I, I think he he had this this spot in, in his mind how much he would love to have it And the minute they say you pick anywhere you want to, he said I tell you what I want I want that cave and I and I want I want this area that's where I want to bury my dad it must have been a beautiful spot uh and in a minute uh, Ephron is apparently very proud of it um now now look at this what happens here he, he says he wants the price of the field. And, uh, and he, and, but, but we're not talking about a field yet. We're just talking about a cave and look at 14. Ephron answers, Abraham, my Lord, listen to me, a piece of land worth 400 shekels, underline that of silver. What is that between you and me? Bury your debt. Ah, uh, I might take 400 shekels for it, but I mean, between you and me, I mean, that's not a, I mean, you, you can just have it. Yeah. I mean, if I was going to sell it, it'd probably be 400 shekels, but you just, you just, it, it's a gift. Now, see, he thinks, because some of the commentary on this I read was fascinating. So Ephron's now the big negotiator. They're both respectful. They're both polite. He offers not just the cave, but he's now offering the field. That's an add-on, okay? If Abraham takes the deal, he will be in debt to the Hittites, but he specifies to them there's nothing to be concerned about here. I just want this for bearing the debt of my family. I'm not going to do anything else with it. It'd almost be like somebody saying, now, look, if we give you this, you ain't, we're not going to walk here and you can put a trailer park on this, are you? I mean, are you going to build something out here? Is there going to be livestock on it? What are you going to do with all this? He said, I just need it to bury the dead. It's just going to be a place of respect for the, for my family. That's all I want. He's specifying that's what he wants it for. And then he offers to purchase the field in addition to the cave, and he also reiterates again his intention to use the track as a burial place. Okay. So, and then you see we get into 14 through 16, and, and you see now he's thrown out the price. So look at 16. Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites, 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. Uh oh, Ephron didn't know that Abraham had folded money. I mean, Abraham said, you want 400 shekels? I got that right here. And uh, and so now, now he's in a bind. Now, let's talk about this price. Is 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 Ephron trying to – because I don't know about shekels. Maybe you all do. Is he trying to throw out something he don't think Abraham will pay for it? He is. To give you some examples, I mean, this this will blow you away. Uh, if you go to 2 Samuel 24-24, we don't have time to do that, but if you want to go back up what I'm about to say, Second Samuel 24-24, David – Paid fifty shekels to purchase the site for the temple, fifty. Ephron said, "I'll take four hundred shekels for it for that cave in that field." Must have been nice. So that that kind of gives you an example. Also, if you look at Jeremiah seventeen, um, no, I'm sorry, look at Jeremiah thirty-two verse nine. Jeremiah for a field. Now we don't, maybe it wasn't as nice a field is what Ephron's offering, and Abraham's got his eye on. Paid seventeen uh shekels. So we got Jeremiah paying seventeen shekels for a field. We got David paying fifty shekels for the temple site. And we got a cave and we've got a field in in Hebron that now Ephron wants four hundred shekels for. So I think that sound that sounds big. That's a lot. I think that's a big price. Uh and I think he shot high, and most of the commentators and theologians think this, to discourage Abraham from buying it. He just go, well then I'll just take it. But Abraham, he didn't know Abraham had that in his pocket, and uh, and he took the four hundred shekels of that and says, "That's a deal." And it says in scripture what he did it in front of all the witnesses. So now Ephron's in a bind because he has told Abraham in front of all these witnesses it's going to be four hundred shekels, and Abraham said, "Done," and then paid it to him. It's over now. In that culture, if if Ephron if, if Ephron does anything else right now, it, it it's bad form. I mean, Abraham just bought him a cave in a field where God said he was gonna have land. Okay? And he did it through what? Sarah's death. You see how God works? You see how he does stuff? Abraham does not even blink, and he ends the haggling. You know what you know what this is? You ever been through this before? Hey, let me just tell you, this is it. What do you want for it? I'll take this. Done. Now that's the end of it haggling's over okay and uh or you know really what abraham has said about that cave in the field how much you take like it sits i ain't even been over to the field yet but i know i like that cave how much you want for it yeah i mean i want to give it to you but i mean i guess i'd take 400 shekels. and abraham said done so it's happened in front of everybody and um now now this witness thing is significant because now Ephron has no way out. So remember that. All right, verse 17 through 18. So the field of Ephron uh, and, and and Machpelah, uh, which was uh, to the east of Mamre, the field with the cave uh, that was in it, and all the trees that were in the field, so you see now it, it, it's nice, throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession and the presence of of the Hittites, before all who went in at the gate of the city. So now now you see Moses describing it a little bit, and he wants us to know that here inside this, this area, Canaan, that God has promised to the descendants of Abraham, the first piece of land inside this promised land has just been purchased and handed over to Father Abraham. That's big. That's a big moment, and it was done through what? Sarah's death. He placed him in a position that everybody was saying, whatever you want. See, sometimes, and I remember this clearly. Some of you, this is going to be repetitive. Some of you need to hear it for the first time. Some of you need to hear it again. And that's how I learned things, through through, through reps, repetition. I remember when we went through this earthly death of my son, I remember my pastor, Danny Wood, said to Sherry and me, when God is in these things, which he is, there are going to be things that you're going to see happen through this, through death, earthly death, that were not going to happen any other way. It op- It's going to open doors that nothing else will open. And you heard me kind of hit on that a little bit last week. So Sarah's death got Abraham in a position that everybody wanted to give him whatever he wanted. And it ends up being the first purchase of the promised land that God has said that Abraham and his descendants will have. That's that's really, really cool. So the description is very precise, uh, uh, and it says that um, that the scene also suggests that all who matter, right? You ever been through that? How many of you have a, have a history in this room that's in here with me? How many of you have something in your – your job ties you to sales. I'm a marketing, anything like that. So, you know this, then, and, and I'm addressing one of the guys in the room that sells. What do you always know if you if the deal is done? I need to talk to the decision makers. You ever had you ever wasted your time talking to people who can't make the decision, and and they could agree to it all day long, but somebody else can say, well, they they don't have the authority to agree with that. So what happened with this big scene is that Abraham gets this land in front of all who matter, okay? Because all you got to do is to say to someone who walks in and says, "What are you doing setting up over here on this land? Aren't you aren't you a a foreigner in our land? I am, but but I got this from Ephron, Ephron, and this guy and this guy and this guy and this guy. Uh, just go talk to them, and they'll they'll confirm this is my land." He didn't need everybody to see it. He just needed those that mattered to see it. As far as the authority of this city, uh, I remember. I'll tell you guys a very funny story. So, uh, our family was very, very fortunate, and and we do absolutely know that God um, gave us land. And um, I'd, I'd never owned any land or anything. I mean, I have a house, but i never had owned any land. And and Sherry and I were. Um, this story is emotional, but it also has a funny in it. Um, So we were thinking about back when, when the show was really starting to climb and God was allowing us to have access to, to money that we never had access to. And we thought, well, ma'am, you know, Sherry's from a lake city. Uh, I grew up, you know, my grandparents had a little cabin on the Black Warrior River, and so we thought, you know, what, what do you think about a lake house? And we thought, maybe we'll look into that and then Sherry loves the beach, and we thought, well, we'll, 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 maybe, well, maybe something at the beach or something like that. But all the kids were still so active and everything, and the prices were outrageous. and And uh, I never, never buy when prices are down. If you want prices to go up on something, just let me want to buy, it, okay? And you'll all be fine, okay? I don't ever buy at the right time on anything, so um, so I have no savviness on that at all. Uh, so anyway, um. Uh, we we had looked and we we kind of come to the conclusion. We go to the lake sometimes. We go to the beach sometimes when we can, and we rent or we go w- w- with friends who have places. At the stage of our life with these kids, we're not going to be able to go anymore. All we're about to inherit is, you know, pay something and then inherit all the problems that go with it, and still only go about the same amount of time we go now when somebody when it's somebody else's problem. Now, if we ever get to the point we could go more, maybe it makes sense. So we just about turned it off, and we did turn that off. And so I sit down at my office, and I get an email from a realtor. understand you're looking for some land. Uh, No. So I get on there, and I'm like, hey, I'm sorry. Don't know where you got that. Not looking for land. So this is in 2007. So we got the five kids. We got everything going on. Uh, Bronner is uh, two years old, and so, um, so the next day, like like like, there's something wrong with this person. I get pictures of of the farm. Here's here's the land. Let me know when you want to see it. Uh, I have no idea what this is about. I'm so sorry. I hope you're not wasting your time. So I go home and I tell Sherry about all this, and she goes, "Well, maybe we're supposed to go see it." And I said, well, I think it's just a, like a we're not farmers. And she goes, well, I don't know. Maybe, maybe we're just supposed to go see it. So so we go down to, to 30 minutes from the house. We like that. So we pull up to the land, and Sherry looks at me, and she goes, I've been here before. I said, what do you mean you've been here before? She goes, we have pictures of our kids here at doing an Easter egg hunt. I said, Here? She said, this belongs to members of our church. And I said, what? And all of a sudden I look up and Tracy Sweat walks out of his house that I went to church with. And it's, I said, this is your place? And he said, yeah. And it was 80 just beautiful acres of just pasture and a pond and a barn and a little bitty uh, white house that was built in the 50s with a tin roof, you know. And... um, and he he's he's emotional, and uh, he said, "I gotta get rid of this land. God's told me to to, to sell it." He says, "It's become too important to me." Okay, and I wanted somebody like you to have it because I think I think I think it could be used. And I'm like, "Oh, so Tracy is taking this realtor and put put, put her on me, you know?" And and I'm like, "But I was kind of moved by that." And so we turn around. And we turn from the house. You have to go across a dirt road to go out into the actual pasture and everything where the barn and the pond is. And there's these two iron gates. And like I said, Tracy's last name starts with an S, okay? And on the iron gates, there's two letter Bs. My name is Burgess, and all my kids are Brandy, Blake, Brooks, Brody, and Bronner. And I said, why do you have Bs on the gate? Your name, you don't, you're, there's nothing in your family that goes to the letter B. He said, when we bought it, these gates were here. I think it goes back generations to other families. I think those Bs stand for the Brown family. But we thought the gate looked so rustic and cool, we just left it. And I looked at Sherry and I said, I think we're about to buy a farm. <laughs> and uh, so so we went and we, and we, we toured everything. You know, God's not subtle sometimes. And um, and Sherry said, you know, our kids have never really seen this life like we, you and I did growing up. They're city kids. And uh, it'd be great 30 minutes from the house to have a place to ride a four-wheeler, to fish in a pond. I know it's not quite that big enough to hunt, but maybe you can do a little bit of hunting there with the small ones or at least do some introduction to hunting, and there might be enough hunting you could do here. But just bottom line is we can have family stuff down here. We can uh, We can build a fire. We can plant a garden. And teach the kids more about rural life. And it's a lot less expensive than this other stuff we were looking at. And I said, okay, yeah, that, that makes sense. So we, uh, we got together and, and we did the deal. And um, so first the serious part of it, then I'll tell you the funny part of it. So Bronner's running around out in that pasture in October of 2007 And so are the other kids. And I still remember Brody was six, and he's got a cowboy hat on, and they're on bales of hay, and everybody's climbing on all that, and we're running around, and we're just loving it. We close in October. Sherry goes and orders furniture for the house, and Tracy and his wife are moving out. And she went to a place to find the stuff for it. It's just a little tiny house. And um, we all go into the holidays, saying we come back for the first of the year, we'll go down there and try to get this place fixed up. And um, on January the 19th, Bronner dies. And I remember Sherry looking at me because he died at our house, and she said, I don't know that I can go back there. Where do you think we should go? And I said, well, I think we just bought a farm. I guess we go there. And I got on the phone, and I called the place where she had been, and I said, do you have everything that she needs? And they said, yes. And I said, well, here's our, our American Express card. Finalize it. While we're burying our son, would you mind going and putting that furniture in that house? And they said, of course we will. So we left that memorial service, and we loaded up, and we headed 30 minutes south to the place that God prepared for us to grieve, to heal. And and we lived there for three months, and um, and it was incredible. It was simple. It was healing, and we were closer than we'd ever been as a family. And there were no no telephone, no TV. Just go to school, come home, kids, and get out in the the land and play and go to the barn and let's play and let's sit here and let's just be in the presence of God and let's fish and let's plant something. And, uh, there are still trees that are planted there that we go and look at them growing when we know that now, you know, 14 years later, and then we picked up another track of land next to it, you know, for more four wheel trails and actually been able to hunt and everything there now. Uh, when it came available, but this that place is holy to us. It, it's it's our place to grieve. It's our place to heal. I, I'll tell you what's kind of cool about it. With with very few exceptions, you know, it's where Sherry wrote the book. She stayed down there one time, forty days, by herself, just working it out with God, writing in that little house. Uh, there's verses still written all over that house pinned up the the ink is faded now cuz it's been 14 years you can still see the verses she was posting everywhere inside that house as we grieved so that place is very very special to us and um so but it was given to us by God for healing for it, it is his place for us and rare is the occasion that I go down there to pray that I even really get to say anything rare Sometimes, but rare. And I'll go up on this little rise, and there's a tree we planted. A, biolog- a biologist stopped by one day and said, love your family, love the show. Would you would you mind if I give you this tree as a gift to remember your son? I'll help you plant it. Well, put it, tell me where you want it. And so it's still there. And um, I'll go up there by that tree, and I'll sit on that rise. And mo- just about every time, and I did it a lot last year, just about every time, the Lord would just tell me to be quiet. I'll get ready to run some litany, some list, and he's that the breeze will just blow across me, and he'll just say, "Shh, just be still. You just rest, you just heal, and let me talk." and And I get many, many instruction from him there. There's something special about that place. Uh, so on a on a lighter side, when we bought the uh, adjoining land, it wasn't as as emotional and spiritual, um, and. I was walking over there one day after we got it, looking for more places to to hunt and set up where we could all hunt with the boys and everything down there. And a guy was in there and he pulls up to me and I said, uh, Hey man, I said, you're going to have to get your stuff out of here. I said, this, this land is my family just bought this land. It's goes right next to our farm. That's our farm right there. And, I said, "What do you have out here?" Well, I got some uh, food plots and a ladder stand and a blind, and I hunt over here. And I got permission to hunt over here. And he told me who got it from. He said from the police. And I said, well, "I don't think they give you permission to hunt." But uh, but that's, that's over now, man. We just we just bought it. Paperwork's done. No hard feelings. I understand that. But you know, you need to get your stuff and whatever. He said, "That's your farm right over there." I said, "Yes, yes, it is." He goes, "Really?" He said, well, I got on pretty good authority. That farm right there belongs to Rick and Bubba. <laughs> and uh, I said, uh, I am Rick, uh, and, it's, and Bubba does not own it. Uh, and uh, he's like, oh, well, if you ever need any help, just let me know. I'm here. And uh, so uh, he thought he had me, you know, acting like it belonged to me. Uh, but anyway, so this uh, that just using the analogy that in this case God is giving this land to Abraham and we certainly felt like that that was given to us uh, as, as a place we were going to need, as a place that we were going to be able to grieve. And it's significant that the first place that God gives Abraham that is fulfilling his promise is he gives him land for what? Grieving. That's the first land he gave him to grieve. And um, so now Abraham has become for the first time in Canaan, a full-fledged property owner. Verses 19 and 20, look at this. After Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field at Machpelah, east of Amri, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan, the field and the cave that it is that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for a burying place by the Hittites. So the text confirms that it would be used as a burying place, and it also confirms that the Hittites gave it over to him, and it was his. Why is this important? Why why is this important? Well, the reason why this part at the end is important, it shows that Abraham, even though we know God was using it, Abraham was not using Sarah's death as a pretense to buy the land for other purposes. Abraham's man of his word. He said, "I'm just buying it to bury my wife and to grieve." He wasn't using that as a trick to get it for something else. He he stood by what he told him he was going to do. That that's an example to us. Uh, when doing deals, we don't go out there like the rest of the world and try to beat people out of something in a deal. Okay, I can't stand when I see people claim to be men of God. You put them out there in the business world and they act like just like everybody else. We're not out to see who we can beat out of a deal. We're out to be honest and say we want a fair deal. This is what we're going to do, and if we say we're going to do it and we shake your hand, then we do it. We don't pretend we're going to do something, then do something else so we can get the deal done. Secondly, the mention of Hebron in the land of Canaan demonstrates Abraham's commitment of himself and his descendants to the land God had promised them. The burial of, of three generations of Abraham's family in the cave, here's who all would be buried there. Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Rebecca, Jacob, and Leah shows that commitment. It shows the commitment. And, uh, and he was, um, uh, that commitment's an abiding feature of the patriarch's faith. It shows you again that Abraham's faith really can be trusted. It's been tested. He hasn't done everything perfect. But overall, when Abraham's faith is tested, what God already knew about him was true. He, he has an, that abiding feature, and that is a strong, strong faith, and a faith that was so strong, God deemed him righteous through his faith. Abraham's purchase of the land showed again his faith in God. He would live, and he would die in the promised land. He would live and die in the promised land. Foreshadowing. Foreshadowing. Are we going to end up in this world? Not in its current state, but there's a promised new heaven and there's a promised new earth that is coming and only the redeemed will abide there. Only the redeemed will abide there. Which is why Paul could say so clearly, to live is Christ, but to die is gain. The redeemed live and they die in Christ. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the message. Thank you for the opportunity to to remember how good you've been to us through Abraham. What a loving, gracious God you are. Yes, you are a God of judgment. And yes, you are a God of wrath. And we know that those characteristics are just as prevalent and real as your grace and your mercy and your love. But the grace and the mercy and love allow us to be exempt from the judgment and the wrath through your son, Jesus. Will you be exempt? Will you be living and dying in the promised land? under the authority of Jesus Christ, presented as fully righteous and holy before a holy God? If the answer is, I'm not sure, maybe today you should change that. Maybe that should change. Maybe today you say, today's the day that I repent. Today's the day that I want to enter into the new covenant with the God that has proven that he is trustworthy in covenant. And the New Covenant says if you repent of your sin and you turn from your sin and you leave faith in yourself and you place your faith in Jesus and you submit to his authority and you want to be forgiven of those sins that you now repent, that he will not go back on his word. He will forgive you through the sincerity of your faith in him. And only he knows it. If today's the day that you did that and you want to know, hey, what do I do next, then just reach out to me, rick at burgessministries.com. I'm always there, and I'll do everything I can to help you. Thank you for being with us today. Lord, thank you for your presence in this room. In your holy name we pray, amen. Thank you for being with us.